Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is a show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's podcast, we are talking to Harry Metcalf. He's the co-founder and CEO of DXW Cyber. But before that, hire Jack. Yeehaw, David. Yeehaw. Still yeehaw. Still in tech. I thought I thought you were gone for a week. <laughs> no. I've, yeah, I'm, I, I fly back uh, Thursday afternoon and start my like. 13 to 16 hour journey home. Um, everyone here keeps taking the mickey out of me because I, I did it really like, I, I was very frugal in my travel here, like so I'm stopping off in Detroit both ways as connecting flights. And was like, you should have just done one way on BA. And I was like, yeah, but I knew, I'm too scared to do that. <laughs> you didn't want so, to take yeah. the piss with kind of airfares, etc. Exactly. I've already racked up over $200 worth of expenses while I'm here. Like, I, I, And even that, my boss yesterday was like, that's it? That's all you've done for a week? And I was like, yeah, I just, you know, you've flown me out here. You put me up in a hotel. I feel guilty. Has he uh, seen the size sat- of you? You're like, you're tiny. You take up <laughs> no room and you eat, so surely you eat nothing. So, you know, exactly. if it expenses, it'd be like, is it some some unknown, crazy uh, drug habit that we have no idea about a la michael gove you know oh god i mean where'd you start with that my, my favorite thing to come out of the tory leadership drug debacle is i don't know if you read what jacob reese moggs admitting to do but it was an opium that i'd never heard of like this and i was just only only the haunted pencil would be uh, would be doing a drug that no one's heard of since the 18th century let's face it he's, he's probably kind of romanticizing that he would be there on a hillside with lord byron <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love, I love the fact that the the Tory leadership are just fighting each other now. Um, it it does make me make me smile a lot at the moment. And Michael Gove is as offensive as anyone. You know, you've only got to ask any teachers um, and people in education how. I mean, just by his own rule, right? Any teacher that was caught doing a, a grade A drug should be fired immediately. Now, if he's going to instil that. What, what does it, does he not count? Is he above that? I know he's not a teacher, but he's in a much higher position than a teacher, right? So yeah, he's, he's scum. It's, it does smack of, I mean, I know it's been said a lot over the last couple of days, but it smacks of hypocrisy. But what Mm. frustrates me, I think more than anything about this is it's people like uh, the Sag coming out and saying, oh, it's middle-class drug users. They've got blood on their hands. It's like, you're only saying that now because of the political situation. If you really mm-hmm. thought that, why weren't you saying that six months ago? Why weren't you saying that a year ago? Because it's entirely true. If you're mm-hmm. snorting cocaine and you're like, oh, it's fine, it's just coke, it's my choice, yada, yada, yada. Actually, no, there is, there is a trail of blood that leads back across the, the Atlantic and around the world to, to the mm. prime countries where people are being murdered. And I, I say, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect person, but I, I say that without hypocrisy because I've never touched the stuff or actually anything other than alcohol. But there's, there's why, no fair why are trade regulation. jumping on it? I mean, we know why they're jumping on, on it, but it's just so, oh, you know? I know, I know. 
And, and do you know what? I'm, I'm reveling in the fact that no one's even asking Corbyn. I'd imagine Corbyn smoked a fair few spliffs when he was younger. <laughs> so, but he's, he's just, I mean, out of the spotlight at the moment, as he has been amongst all the Brexit fiasco for his detriment, so be it. But, you know, they took the Plymouth seat, or they held the Plymouth seat the other day, which voted predominantly for the Brexit party and the MEPs. So, you mean Peterborough? Uh, Peterborough, sorry. Peterborough, sorry. Big pardon, yeah, yes. He's been out of the country for a week or so, folks. He's, he's out of touch. Lost touch, exactly. It's funny, though, when you're out of the country, how much more you, you take note of the news that's going on in your country. Like, so when you used to go to Spain when you were little and your dad would get the newspaper every day, I've never seen my dad read a newspaper since. But it's just one of those things you do when you're away is you really tune into home. Yeah, yeah. You feel you want that, that tether, umbilical cord. <laughs> I don't know about umbilical cord, but yeah, that tether, definitely. Just out of interest, um, I've never touched pot either, but you mentioned pot. Pot surely yes. isn't the same as cocaine. It couldn't be more different. It couldn't be more different. I mean, you might want to cut this here, Dave, but I mean, because you know, I don't know <laughs> if the fans or whatever want to talk about this, but I, I smoke it regularly. Um, and I've always said with it, I would always quit if it affects my well-being, my job or my relationships. And, you know, 27 years old and it hasn't affected anything yet. And, you know, it's, it's totally different for different people, whereas cocaine isn't different for different people. It's going to give everyone the same effect. It's going to give everyone the same come down. And, you know, it really, you, the, the first time I experienced that drug, the, the very first time I said, yeah, I get how people are addicted to this. And, mm. you know, pot and weed just doesn't have the same impact on the human body. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, there isn't still the same bloodline that follows marijuana around as does cocaine. No, it, no, it, it most certainly does. But, you know, I think we're just... We're, and Sajid David himself is the first person to really... I mean, I don't agree with much of what he's doing, but he sort of began to get that legalisation of marijuana underway because he he started the, um, you know, you can use it medicinally, which is how it started in California and, and in Colorado. And, mm. you know, you now look at these states and, and they're building schools and hospitals because they're taxing this money. Crime well, rates have gone down because they're not arresting yeah. drug dealers. There, there was an article today in The Guardian talking about how magic mushrooms are helping people who suffer from depression. Our friend AOC is looking to put that through uh, in, in America. She's, uh, she, she's fighting that fight. You know, someone that loves the environment and things like that. She's fantastic. But she's now donning her hat at this, which is, which is good news. There we go. Look, we should get into the interview. And I think a, a nice way to think about this would be, I wonder what data we would find if there was a breach of Conservative Party headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'd love that just to see their emails between each other oh brilliant there should be a bit of red teaming going on from from dxw to find out what's going on in the conservative yeah. but no we're not we're not advising that people hack uh the conservative parties <laughs> i'm not against <laughs> it i'm not against it uh but look harry is the co-founder and ceo of dxw cyber uh, we will hand over to the interview but we'll be back with some comment and thought afterwards so we're chatting to Harry. Uh, you're the founder and CEO of DXW. There's two strands of DXW, so both of them, but we're talking to you about cyber. Yeah, yeah, mostly, yeah. Um, what are the two strands? Well, so the uh, DXW Digital was, is the older of mm -hmm. the two. Uh, it's been around, been trading for 11 years. Um, and that was set up by me in order to be a, a digital agency for public sector bodies, um, yep. specifically. Uh, and and uh, we wanted to try and help bring a kind of contemporary, open source, agile, sensible perspective around technology to the to the public sector market in mm -hmm. particular, because from 
a bit of contracting at the cabinet office that I was doing, uh, it seemed that that was something that was needed um, and that the, the lack of a, of a supplier with that more modern mindset meant that there were no suppliers like that on procurement frameworks, which meant that it was very difficult for people in government to get hold of those kind of services if they, uh, if they wanted them. And so the idea for behind DXW originally was to try and solve that problem, you know, to, to build a, a new supplier to government that understood all the hoops that public sector bodies have to go through in order to contract and could accommodate that. So the heritage of your clients is, is mainly public sector. Yeah. Is that, is that carried through to cyber? Not really, no. It, it, um, it hasn't been my experience that the security problems facing the public sector are quite so specific to it. If you look at how online public services get developed, it's actually quite different from the way commercial services get developed. The motivations are different. The way you measure things is different. There's, al- there's almost never any money involved. And if there is money involved, it's usually sort of the, the, the payment of a fee. I mean, you can't use that metric really to drive the right kind mm. of delivery decisions. I mean, my, my perception would be that the customer-facing services of, say, a council or even something central government would be behind the private sector, yet the security angle would be a little bit ahead because they have to throw... Well, there's... You're, you're, you're scratching your face, face yeah. and <laughs> But you would just imagine central government kind of... Maybe they're getting attacked by another state and you've got GCHQ and you've got everything else. So you'd expect yeah. there to be that level of funding and that level of... of um, spotlight on those on those yeah. services well um sometimes there is and i mean i think the, the the problem with security at the moment and this is a problem across anybody dealing with information security really is that doing a good job of it is very difficult mm. uh, it's and it's not just a matter of it being expensive although it usually is it's because the skill sets that you need to bring to bear on the problem are very specialist yeah um and so if you are if you are in a really high risk sort of setting uh, where you can point to really obvious threats and impacts, for example, in a military setting or an intelligence setting, where you can say with some confidence that people are going to be going after your data, and if they do, that might have a, a, you know that that might affect um, you know that might cause people to die who otherwise wouldn't, right? Mm. So you're very highly motivated there to solve that problem, and very well resourced and very well financed, and so you can afford the best people in the world to come and do the work that you need, and that's why. You know, across information security, state actors kind of have this special status as being particularly capable of, of attack and attacks and defence. So it begs the question: What your client? Well, who your clients are very broadly? Yeah. Um, in terms of where they sit in the market and what their concerns are that you're trying to address. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so our clients are actually quite a, a, a broad range. So we do have some public sector clients. We have quite a few uh, startups. We have some larger sort of more established organisations, you know, both uh, in the private sector and in the third or charitable sector. So it's quite a quite a wide range and interestingly quite a wide range of technologies as well. Mm. When we're dealing with the startups, it tends to be quite kind of greenfield, lots of sort of serverless stuff. And then in the bigger ones, it tends to be a bit more legacy see a bit more corporate off-the-shelf type. To jump software. in on, on the startup side, do you find that they are beginning to bake security in at an early stage or is it still something yeah. they have to come to you and go, we have no idea here, we need help? Well, it's sort of both. I right. mean, uh, they want to bake security in at an right. early stage, which is the most important thing. And mm-hmm. generally speaking, people who have come to us have already made some progress in doing that. Uh, and, and in the course of that experience, they've either found some stuff that they're struggling with or they want some sort of external reassurance or validation of, of what they're doing well and what they still need to improve on. And, and, and so we're in a good position to 
to provide that kind of direction. How long has the cyber brand been around? Uh, it'll be two years in September. It's a market that I first kind of started to become aware of with any real kind of, oh, hang on a minute, there's, there's a big change here, maybe six or seven years ago. Yep. Uh, I suppose around um, the hacking of the various large newspapers, yep. they started kind of going, oh, Christ, where are, where are the holes that we've got? Where are the back doors? And yet a lot of the conversations that we have with organisations around security still seem to focus around education. They still seem to focus around insider threat in terms of people just doing stupid things. Yeah. Um, why is that conversation not moving on and, and how can you add to the multitude of, of businesses that are already out there and what they're providing? Well, it's one of the reasons that security is so interesting is that it as as a um, as a sector it needs a very as a subject rather it needs a very broad set of skills to be brought to bear actually so mm. education um, dealing with malicious insiders or or just having controls that prevent avoidable errors you mm. know most data breaches are caused by people emailing data to the wrong person right this is this is a solvable problem and and it's within the reach of people who have non-security specific skills. If you're in an organisation, you're probably already doing some kind of internal comms, some kind of employee development. You'll have some sort of control over your IT. If you're so people's tendency when they're dealing with a big scary new problem is is to is to bring the skill sets that they already have to bear to try and solve it. So it makes sense I think that those things have dominated the conversation. But there's a there's a piece missing there mm. in that if you want to get better at defending your services from attack you have to actually have someone attack them and see how you do and and to do that work in a sort of supportive environment where the people who are doing the attacking are going to come and give you lots of help to sort out the problems that they find afterwards and you have to make that part of a continuous process and that's quite a difficult thing for a lot of organizations because they don't have that attacker skill set internally it's very unusual to have that skill set internally mm. well out of out of a security company anyway um and uh, not only does that make it difficult for them to do that work it makes it difficult for them even to recognize what good looks like in that space because they go to their management and they say well what does a good pen test look like yeah. what does a good you know and sure so to, to add to that though pen testing's been around for a little while yeah. so how are you how are you doing it differently than some of your competitors, what, what's making the proposition a bit different? Yeah, well, so that comes out of um, DXW Digital's work. So in, right. in our public sector work, uh, we've had to deal with security for a long time, and, and cyber's work has kind of grown out of our experiences of trying to do that well. Mm. One of the things that we um, spotted quite consistently and were very frustrated about is that a service would get developed, there would be maybe a year's worth of effort of a full team going to that thing. You'd get to within a couple of months of launch and someone would go, oh, hang on, wait, what about security? We need a pen test. And then they would go and get a check test, which is just sort of public sector terminology for a pen test, really. Mm. Um, and generally speaking, uh, the, the, the sort of fork in the road at that point, there's people who know what good security looks like and they'll go out to a supplier and give them a good brief. They recognise what they want and they generally get something quite good. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the other people who don't really uh, and they'd go out and they'd just say can I have a check test please um, and then they'd get people coming back and saying yep I can do a check test no problem T two and a half grand three days um, and then they'd get a report um, that to a lay person is going to look pretty similar to the report that you'd get from the people who charge ten times as much mm -hmm. um, uh, but 
the report you get from those people is mostly automated. Right. It's a scan, basically. You might get a little bit of manual verification or additional insight on those results. Usually there's a bit of that, at least. Um, you, you, you might get people who, who do some manual testing as well, but that's less common. Um, you might get people who do a good job of cleaning up after themselves and understand how to manage risks around testing. Mm-hmm. You, you might not, but you wouldn't know to ask is the, is the problem. And so in those situations, you either get a, a bad test, which means you launch with a bad product and you have all of those ongoing risks you have to manage, or you get a good test, which tells you you have lots of problems but you've done it at the 11th hour. So you now have to incur loads of additional expense and delay yeah. and embarrassment in sorting all of the things out. And this is just I love a that a good test, by the way, is lots of problems. Well, it is. It absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, of course, is. it's yeah. honest, I suppose. I mean, if, you get a, if you've built a product yeah. and you get a test and that test doesn't find serious problems, it wasn't a good test. Mm. Like, it's really as simple as that because everything is broken. Uh, anyway, so just to go back to the yeah, yeah. to go back to the thing, the way we try and approach this a bit differently is to try and move away from that model. We want to get away from this kind of pen test as a technical audit type work, um, and so our approach is inspired a little bit more by red teaming, uh, which is an approach which is over the top for most people, but it's an approach where you get quite a large sort of multidisciplinary team of security professionals. You give them a good long time, usually a few months, um, and you give them a very broad scope. So that scope of work will not only be their website and whatever extra services exist around that, it'll also be their offices, it'll be Mm. their network, it'll be all of their end-user devices, all of their mobile phones, it'll be the offices themselves, you know, it'll usually include attempts to break into that office and stick naughty devices into the network or trick someone into plugging a USB stick into their computer, that kind of thing. And that approach is expensive, it takes ages, it's awesome, but it's much more than most people need. So what we're trying to find is an approach that sits in between those two extremes, mm-hmm. um, slightly more ex- inspired by red teaming as a style, and moving away from that kind of automated, quite low-value type work that's so prevalent in the in the market. So we're calling that attack simulation. Um, the reason being that we borrow the idea from red teaming of a really, really broad scope. Um, we add to that, or we also borrow in some cases, the idea of a specific objective. So rather than look at all these things and tell us how secure they are, we'll say, well, what bad impact, what bad scenario is it that you're trying to prevent? And usually that's something like um, a big data breach, uh, or maybe some people have like commercially sensitive or trade secrets or commercially sensitive data of some kind. Mm. Um, For people who deal with a lot of money, there's usually kind of concerns around credit card information and that kind of thing and making sure that money can't get shifted to the wrong place. So we set an objective like that, which is, you know, if you woke up on Monday morning, you went to the office and the worst breach you can think of has just happened, like what would it be? Mm. And we work within that scope to achieve that objective. Uh, So this has some pros and cons. Um, the I'll start with the uh, with the con, uh, which is that we don't provide uh, assurance across everything in the scope. In fact, we don't even guarantee that we'll look at everything in the scope because what we're focused on is achieving the objective. And if if we don't need to look at a particular component of somebody's network or or, or public facing services, then we just we just won't because we've already managed to achieve the objective some other way. But the great advantage of this approach is that you get something that is considerably more representative of how real breaches actually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it teaches you more about how to prevent them and gives you 
information which is much more reliable and more actionable than you'd ever get from an, from an automated scan. Does it tend to lead to a, an extended exercise where you do look at some of those pathways that you possibly didn't use if, if that first attempt is successful? Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose it's, it's you can't then ignore it. If no, no, oh, sure. Christ, they got in really easily. What are the other kind of? So this is exactly. I mean, that's exactly the approach, and this 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 is designed to fit into an iterative approach. So mm. we'll do the first attack simulation. We'll usually support people with some technical or consultancy visits after that to help them to actually put what we've found into practice. You know, the fixes into practice, um, and then after six months or eight months or a year or however often the, the client wants to do them, we'll come and do another simulation. And hopefully what we'll find is that the, the easy uh, route in that we found the first time doesn't work anymore. Mm. And we kind of have to lift our game a bit uh, and, and try attacks that are sort of the next level of complexity up. And we basically keep doing that until the difficulty and complexity and cost of the attack um, exceeds what the client would realistically expect an attacker to want to be bothered with in their case. So just to focus on 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 you for a second and your role, do you view this as a second startup? Do you view this as an expansion of a brand? Do you view it as a pivot of an existing business? Because it's <laughs> we're in a separate office to the digital brand. Yeah, but that's only because the digital brand's out of space. Yeah. So I just kind of intrigued, kind of how you view cyber and digital and you know they're nine years apart in terms of their inception so it's uh i'm trying to think of it um as a another startup but with the benefit of all of the sort of machinery of business that dxw digital has so building a new business and scaling it uh is hard work Mm -hmm. um and it's much less hard if you have already got like a, a, a commercial function that can help with you know, finance and HR and buying things and, and, and booking things and facilities and, and making sure that we, we operate diligently and, and safely. And I suppose that's no different to a startup kind of having to go out to various different SaaS providers and plugging in various bits of maybe HR or payroll or whatever else. Maybe, but there's a layer on top of that as well. I mean, we... I mean, obviously, this we is use, a better model for you, but... Well, it is. I mean, we use SaaS providers for almost all of those things um, as well, but there's also the layer of people actually using those tools and helping other people to get things done that, mm. that has made us able to to establish and get started um, more quickly than we otherwise could have, I think. So I'm sort of thinking of it as a, a, a new startup, but with the uh, with the help of a, of a grown-up business. So with the benefit of hindsight, what have, what have you done slightly differently this time around? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Um, I think having that team has been an enormous help. I think um, the first time around... I sort of had to spend quite a lot of time learning how to run a business. I mean, when I started DXW Digital, I, I didn't know what a cash flow was. You know, I didn't really understand anything about accounting or corporate machinery or governance yeah. or health and safety or tax or any of those things. So I had to kind of learn all of that stuff as I as I went, which obviously made everything much slower because I didn't understand it. No, of course. Do you, do you view yourself as a, as a commercial manager now then? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I've never really thought about it. Because it is one of those difficult transitions, right? When you have an idea and it's your idea and you're passionate about it, you tend to be hands on the tools. And the the make or break success for a lot of businesses appears to be if the, the CEO, the founder can transition into the commercial ops manager role and successfully take hands off the tool and let the business breathe or go, you know what, I'm good at the task-orientated stuff, I need to bring someone in over me who can do the running of the business. Oh, no, it's 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 definitely the first one. 
Yeah. Um, I, I always felt very uh, clear in my mind that I wanted to make DXW Digital something that could operate independently of me. Right. Um, I, I didn't want to sort of be tied at the hip to it forever. Um, so that kind of process of not doing all of the day-to-day work myself. Because when we started, I did do everything. You know, I did all of the client work and all of the business stuff. And it was mm-hmm. just me. So I had to do everything. Um, and uh, after a, a few years, actually, I found I was I was quite glad to be able to slightly move away from that development work so that I could spend more time kind of understanding and growing mm-hmm. the, the proposition. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the benefit of having done that, I think, in one of the benefits anyway, of having done that in, in digital is I think I've been able to do that in cyber much more quickly you know the first year or so I spent a lot of time thinking about things like uh, methodology uh, mm. and purpose and values and mission I mean I didn't really think about that stuff in DXW so there's, a, great, there's a greater clarity there's a greater clarity of what is is important what is key at this stage very much so yeah very much so and I mean we've got our security principles on posters outside you know because mm. I, I, I actually you know I've, I've sort of come to understand the value of an approach that says, well, here are our values as a team. These are the behaviours that we want to exhibit. Mm. And here are our principles. These are what the qualities of good decisions are. You know, I don't think when I started DXW um, Digital uh, that that kind of conceptual framework even really existed in my mind. Mm. And, and it does now as a part, as, as, a, as a, um, an effect of having to go through the process of, of building a team that all pulls in the same direction and all roughly works in a similar way yep. uh, and, and all conveys the right kind of tone. Uh, it's, it's really important that, that, that clients, when they speak to somebody at DXW, should kind of feel like they're speaking to somebody from the same organisation, no matter who they speak to. You know, we shouldn't have 10 different methodologies for 10 different projects. We should all kind of have a shared, it should be a shared endeavour. Yeah. Um, and having those things you know the written methodologies the opportunities to reflect on them you know values and principles of work that are explicit have sort of become tools for me to try and help teams to understand what that looks like and what that feels like so look a sign that things are going well is is always that a a business is hiring yeah you're looking for some engineers you're looking for some security specialists we certainly are What, what do you need uh, so top of my list at the moment, uh, DXW Digital uh, is looking for Ruby developers. So if you're a Ruby developer and you want to come and put your public service hat on and, and <laughs> do, do some work for the public good, do, uh, do hit us up. We'd yep. love to talk to you. Um, in cyber, there are three roles we're looking for. We're looking for so ethical hackers and pen testers, yep. particularly for a senior, but we're looking for anybody who's got some experience. We will be looking for juniors, but probably not until next year. So if you're just starting out, watch this space. We'd love to talk to you later. And I guess they go to the website, Chris page or is there an email yeah there is we'll put it in the show notes if that's okay yeah absolutely. Um, and uh, we're also looking for a sales account manager for dxw cyber which is quite a big uh, quite a big role for us it, it, you know we don't have any yet so it's going to be the first one uh, so there'll be a big opportunity to shape the way that we do sales at cyber which um per our experience in in digital is a very kind of human and consultative and organic approach so we you know we want to get into organizations we want to show value early we want to have salespeople who who understand the topic understand the subject matter and we're really happy to help people who've got the right kind of attitude and the right kind of sales skills to learn the sector specific stuff so uh really really keen to talk to people about that cool well, look, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for giving up some time. Oh, thanks for having me. Security has been this thing that we've been talking about for a, for a couple of years, and I am genuinely yeah. fascinated by the point that the the dial has has it doesn't feel like it's significantly shifted over the last five six years in terms of the type of conversations that we have. 
Yeah, I mean, hackers and, and threats become more and more elaborate, but, you know, the other side of it seems to still have this slightly blinkered view of cybersecurity, you know, I mean, and, and to be fair, Harry really opened my eyes to that, you know, it's not just email hacking or things like that, it's, it's, it's people coming in and tricking you, you know, your actual hardware and, and your office space, and it really reminded me of an episode recently of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where they're, they're under threat, and they've got this security guy come in to help them, and, you know, they can't figure out where this threat's coming from, and it actually turns out that it was the security guy that came in, was the threat he brought in and, and he hacked from the inside. And, you know, unless you know these things, it's so hard to spot, right? Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point. Like, we've been talking internally at work recently about some of these, some of the stats around uh, cybersecurity. And, and there's some stats mm. that suggest that the level of investment, the level of um, exposure within organisations that cyber has been given has led to a greater degree of confidence within organizations that they can deal with attacks but i still get the impression that most people don't follow best practice don't really know what we're talking about when we're talking about a phishing attack or a spear attack or something along those lines I mean, what's encouraging is, as Harry says, you know, startups are beginning to attempt to bake this in. You know, they can see the value in it immediately. And that makes as much sense as, you know, getting your mission statement right from the get go. Um, so it's, it's encouraging to, to, to hear that the startups are doing that. Um, and I like how you almost got a bit killing Eve when you're talking about like, well, you know, local government are protected by GCHQ and things like that, which, which is so right. You know, they do have a threshold or level above them to protect them but it, it is refreshing to hear that you know most startups are considering it but i can't recommend enough that everyone gets in touch with dxw to make sure you're doing it right you know this 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 red testing red teaming sorry and stuff like that is i mean it blew me away a little bit to be honest like it's so thorough and i shouldn't be surprised that it's so thorough because this is their speciality this is their niche but yeah it was an eye opener um what did you uh think to this idea that when when they basically have an objective um mm. they are so focused on it i, I like this because i just assume from mm. a consultancy point of view that if someone goes to you right we want to know all of our back doors mm. they would try and find out everything and harry's mm. view on it is no we don't necessarily cover everything in scope we're focused on achieving the objective and that object if that objective is to cause a breach and we do it at the first instance we've we've achieved that objective uh, and, mm. and it's far more aligned to real attacks. And I totally subscribe to that line of thinking because it's, mm. it, it should be kind of along the lines of why, why go further if, if, if what's, what is all is needed is a very basic level of attack. But I could see, I yeah. can obviously also see that people go, well, no, we, don't, we do need to know everything. Like, don't just stop there. Yeah, I mean, and that sort of plays into their, their aftercare package or whatever. It's almost like a Fibonacci style where they test one thing, see if you're all right of it. Then they grow it and try something else and they grow it and try something else, you know, until you get to that point where you're self-sufficient and you're totally, totally secure. And mm. um, I mean, if they went in and did security for the entire business and everything outside of the, the clear objective, then, I mean, I don't know how it would work with the public sector, but the cost would grow and grow and grow. And you just think, well, give them what, exactly what they need. I suppose it's part of their model to, to go back and ensure they're safe and, and help them further. But, you know, that's the consultancy piece. But, you know, I, I, I don't know how big DXW are, but I'm sure they're not one of the, you know, they're not like an Accenture or a PWC. Oh, no, 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 no. Exactly. So, I mean, they're, DXW they're, Cyber, I think, are roughly 20 people at the minute. Maybe. Well, there you go. So 
they'd, they'd be stretching themselves far too thin if, if they did cover it all. And, you know, maybe as they grow, they'll look to open it up a bit more. I don't know. But I think that they're right. And that's almost like that's, I don't, that's obviously not part of their mission statement or whatever. But, I mean, Harry harked on about it to, to, to great passion, you know, about the importance of, you know, identity and purpose and things like that, as we hear all the time. But, yeah, yeah. yeah I just, I think, you know, it's a company that's 20, 20 people big. And, you know, how many of those people are actually doing the pen tests and stuff like that? One can only assume it's about 15 that's of them at max. I'm, I might be wrong on that point. I think it's about yeah. that. We'll have to double Let's check. Just say, let's they're, just they're say. Not, they're, not, they're certainly yeah, not yeah. Accenture. Um, yeah so if 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 you're small and agile then you you have to work small and agile right yeah. and i i would have loved to have been not with uh with, with dx Digi, uh, dxw digital i'd have loved to have been in the room where they're explaining agile to i don't know cambridge county council yeah. or whatever <laughs> I, I also love the clarity of message in bad yeah. tests equal problems good tests equal problems but problems you can fix <laughs> it's like you know let's not shy away from the fact that you're dealing with an area where you, you really do want to uncover the issues. It's not like you want mm. someone to come in and go, yeah, all good. Cause that would just make you go, oh, really? Yeah. Is, is everything okay? Cause it's not, it's not part of the technology industry that can afford to rest on its laurels. Um, mm. There are always going to be criminals. There are always going to be nefarious actors trying to cause you harm. That, yep. that is a fact of life. It's like, you know, there's always going to be a criminal out there who may well burgle your house. You don't just leave the front door unlocked and go, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know? and it's, it's a similar thing. You, you've got well, to I'm... constantly keep on top of this. And, and I suppose that's a brilliant business model for everyone involved in cyber, obviously. Well, but yeah. I love the honesty of, of, of that message. Well, have you seen that new, and I, I, I forget who's running it, but it, the, the, the posters are littered across the tube and stuff in London at the moment, you know, and it opens up a, a window on your computer and it says, you know, burglars can enter through these windows as well, rather than, you know, just mm. physical buildings. And I think that's a really good campaign. And whether or not people are going to take note of that, I don't know. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? You kind of hope in your business that you've got these experts that are going to help already. But, you know, startups and public sector need that help. They, you know, they need that overall view and, and things like that. And no startups, ever, unless it's a cybersecurity startup, is ever going to be readily uh, to go with that kind of stuff. And the same with, you know, public sector. I would be incredibly surprised if the smaller offices have all of this set up. But, you know, as you refer to, they can call on some bigger wigs to help them. Mm. You know what, Jack? Mm. It is what it is. Uh, mate, I know what you're referencing, but... <laughs> I haven't you seen haven't any... seen it? <laughs> no. I, 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 and that's probably killing I, you. I can't get a VPN, right, out here in America. So I'm missing all of Love <laughs> Island. Uh, whether or not, you know, when I'm back at the weekend, I back-to-back it all like a saddo, or <laughs> maybe it's too long in the tooth now. I don't know. But I, what I have been watching is... Uh, oh, what season one and season two of Killing Eve and what we do in the shadows, both that aren't, they're, they're coming out in the UK at the moment, but they've already been out in America. I highly recommend those two programs. But just one more thing on Harry. I love his honesty about when he was a, a, a co-founder, you know, yeah, didn't yeah. understand finance, tax, health and safety. But yeah. now, you know, six to seven years on, he, he's happy to hand this over. He's, he knows what he needs to focus on as a founder, you know, your mission statement, your purpose. And, you know, he basically just sums up everything that we, we, we talk about a lot, but with a lot more poison and a plum than we could ever say. And how encouraging is it that he is very honest about that, not knowing yeah. cash flow, not knowing a business plan yeah. effectively. And in, in those terms, not, not knowing what infrastructure he'd need, knowing mm. about tax, because it is all that mm. stuff that, you know, 
you look at it and go, oh, God, maybe not then. You've got an idea, yeah. but you don't want to follow through on it because it just seems so confusing. And Yeah, daunting as well, right? Yeah. You know, DXW is, a, is an 11-year-old business that is quite sizable now. Harry has been wildly successful and great to hear him say, I didn't know any of that stuff. And he went out yeah. and he learned. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if that's that's an inspiration for any any budding founders out there. Then I don't, you know, that's that's as good as it gets. And Harry said something that no one rarely says, and it sings so to my heart. Just how important tone is. You know, as a as a proposal writer myself, tone tone is so key. Consistency of tone and communication of values and things like that. You know, it's it's no wonder why these guys are thriving, right? Mm. Because Harry and and I'm sure his co-founder. Of, very screwed on very switched on individuals and yeah i uh, i don't need to wish them the best of luck because they're going to keep growing and growing and growing and look if you want to go join that growing team as he mentions towards the end ruby developers consultants will share a link on the show notes go check out their website see what jobs there are open if you're listening to this and you you think that he mm. sounds like someone he, you, that you could work for dave i wonder if you know any people that can help him find those leave that out leave that out <laughs> with that let's go to our advert break tech talks are partnering with alive and kicking a charity that set up businesses that manufacture beautiful sports balls across sub-saharan africa using profits from ball sales and additional fundraising from events like the hackney half marathon they're able to train sports coaches to deliver vital health education we're about to hear from naomi a coach in zambia who's been trained to deliver mental health education to her community hello there this is coach naomi from zambia i would love to say with alive and kicking training which has helped me to teach my players about like mental health it has really built my knowledge and they have passed through to my young players in in the community. I also work with Special Olympics where we deal with children with disability, mentally and physically. I hope and trust that the Alive and Kicking will continue teaching coaches in various parts of the world, not just in Zambia. Thank you very much, Alive and Kicking. Welcome to the second half of today's Tech Talks podcast. Uh, Jack, have you got mm. some news? You said you had some news. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a silly one. And, it, on. and, I, and it's only because I saw on Reddit this weekend a prototype for a new game. Now, do you remember the Goat Simulator game? No. <clears throat> you never. So you just basically run around a farm or a park or a city as a goat, you know, eating grass. It, it's one of those really stupidly pointless games. It's incredibly relaxing and cathartic, right? It's kind of like when you just, you, you're playing Grand Theft Auto and you adhere to the speed limit. You don't go over the, you don't cross the red light. You know, you, you act well behaved. Um, so what they've developed in this in well, prototype hang on, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can you ram things? Because goats do have a bad temper. Yes, you can. You can. You can go crazy. But this is the exciting part, right? So it's not just goat simulator anymore. They're bringing out pigeon simulator. Um, I'll try and get. I'll try and dig the link out so you can put it in the show notes. But you can fly around the city and shit on businessmen. You can pick them up and drop them as a sort of super strength pigeon, and you just fly around, you know, doing what a pigeon does. And you know, I just think like after a really stressful, busy day, you know, someone in a suit's had a go at you or something like that. You can now go home. Pretend to be a pigeon, pick them up, drop them off, pull all over them, 
and it's I can't wait to play this game. And it's in prototype at the moment, I think, but it looks so much fun and it's so simple. Is it mobile? I think it's PC. I know Goat Simulator moved over to consoles, um, but I'm not entirely sure. Like I say, I just saw a video of on Reddit and got very yeah. excited. You Over 127 what? upvotes, so oh, a lot of people though. were excited. Violence, video game violence, Jack. It's just, oh, Dave, uh... Dave, don't. <laughs> you know, you don't be that guy. Come on. <laughs> I was killing people on GTA San Andreas age 13, and I haven't laid a finger on someone since. Come on. Well, again, you're, <laughs> you're a very small man. I mean, it would be a wise, unwise thing. <laughs> yeah, true. A small man with a big ego, though, so... <laughs> Also, I love the fact that on GTA you gotta go on the rampage and then the entire police force kind of is after you and then they catch you and all that happens is you just regen at the police station. Like life, yeah, yeah. easy, right? Oh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I was reading the other day, like you've got these big role-playing games like uh, The Witcher and uh, Diablo and things like that, and you know the thing you do if you want to have fun on these games is you save it at an important point, then you go off and you you kill loads of people and then you don't save it you just to experience it. Whereas on GTA when you, you know, when you're when you're going off the beaten track, you act like a normal citizen, and you know you go and do these nice jobs for people, like help them, you know, recover <laughs> their stolen purse and things. It's GTA is a very special game in my heart. I mean, I know it has its problems, but I'm I'm never going to be one that believes that it feeds people's The, the thing that I loved, right? The thing that I loved about GTA was the 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 level of detail that world went into yeah, like before yeah. other games. So when you stole a car you had radio stations that you could tune yeah. into. It was yeah. little, little, little things like that. Little gems like that were amazing. Yeah. No, it's brilliant. Or, you, you know, you, you go to the beach and there's people sunbathing. You go to the arcade and you can play the games. Like on yeah. San Andreas, you go to the gym and work out. Like it's all these little things that make it such a wonderful game. Yeah. Anyway, cool. So one silly article. Um, <laughs> I have a not so silly article. Oh, but it's London Tech Week, of course. We haven't mentioned until this point. It is London Tech Week. How's it thriving without me there? Well, it's shitting it down. The weather is a bit... Is a bit <laughs> um, Ryder has been at COGX today, producer Ryder. Um, some of the stages were outdoors. Unfortunately, they have been just a washout. Uh, he said Ooh. it has a bit of a Glastonbury feel, just lots of people in wellies. And it does not feel like June, man. And I'm sure it's, what, 35 degrees there or something crazy? It got to 39 on Saturday, Dave. Ooh. You know what? Yeah. I don't, I'm not envious of that. No, I, it, I was out for about four hours before I just nearly died. And yeah. I was even my own worst enemy. I used one of those um, Uber scooters. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Yep. And I didn't realise I hit my, hit my ankle with it and I was pissing blood for about an hour. So picture this. I'm covered in sweat. I'm beginning to sunburn. I've had a couple of beers. So I'm very dehydrated. I'm on this scooter. Oh, it was honestly... if. It was brilliant, but equally harrowing. I hope you weren't wearing an England shirt. No, God, no. Well, you would have just, you know, pissed up, bleeding. Anyway, never mind, never mind. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't pissed up, I wasn't pissed up. Okay, was, good, yeah. good. <laughs> you said you know, you've said a couple of bits. Anyway. Yeah, um, come on, I can handle my drink all right. I'm not, I'm not that <laughs> tiny. <laughs> so, this is uh, from UKTN. Uh, their online editor, Alara Bazul. London is the top tech hub for overseas expansion get this in the past wow. year 91 international firms chose to expand or set up an operation in london with total investments worth 864 million ahead of cities such as 
Singapore and Paris. The research shows that in the last decade, London has received 916 tech FDI projects with global tech investments worth 9.5 billion into the wow. city's economy, creating 27,600 jobs. Good thing we've got, we've got no fucking trade deals with anyone then, isn't it? Well, no, but the thing is, like, this is not, this is not ideal because it's only going to widen the gap between the metropolitan elite and the rest yeah. of the country. But when people say, well, what's the London market like? The London market's fine. And regardless mm. of what happens with Brexit, to be perfectly mm. frank, the VC community is all in. For the next five mm. years, you know, with that level of investment, it doesn't matter what happens politically. They've, they've put the money on the table. They have gone all in. Well, the VCs predominantly come out of the Bay Area and San Fran, right? You know, Silicon Valley and, and America, you know. And if anything, as Trump keeps saying, Brexit's going to be a good thing for the US and the UK. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's wonderful being out here with Americans hearing their opinion on Trump. Um, it, it's alarming that people seem to forget how, you know, abhorrent a human being he is. But they've said, hasn't started a war, the economy's better. You know, he's doing everything he says. Uh, but my, pro my problem with this, and this, I, I this can't get on board the with article. it. Right, okay. He's done some stuff that short term has provided a bit of a boost to, to, to GDP, mm -hmm. but GDP, <clears throat> GDP is not everything. And it's the kind of mm -hmm. measures that are likely to crash an economy long term. Just like in this article, Nicole Mustard, co-founder of US fintech company Credit Karma, which recently announced its international expansion in the UK, London is one of the top centres for fintech innovation for a number of reasons. By setting up our UK headquarters in London, we will be able to access more global customers and clients, as well as some of the best international tech talent. Yes, right now. And as I said, the money is all in. The next five years, yes. But if those conditions change, the tap will turn off. And if, even though the effects might not be immediate, they will happen. Yeah. And in just the same way that you might go, well, oh, Trump's okay for the economy right now. He's done some short-term stuff that's resulted I'm in... I'm not saying that. But the economy will, will be worse off in the long run. You normally can tell whether or not someone in power has genuinely been good for that country by what actually happens in the first year or two of the person who follows them. Yeah, I mean, that, that just showed how bad, bad Gordon Brown was in the end, right? <laughs> well, but there we go. Anyway. Yeah. On that note, on that cheery note, look, it's, it's a good note because London is proving robust, but warning signs, the reasons that, that we are being told that that investment is there are the very things that we are looking to jeopardise. Yeah, it's, it's beggar's belief. I mean, we don't even have a bloody prime minister at the moment, you know. Uh, everyone out in Texas well, no, we do, is we like, do. We do have a prime do minister. We? Yeah. Who? Theresa May. She's, she, she stepped down on Friday. No she, no, she stepped down as Conservative Party leader. Oh, fucking hell. Well, okay, right. Well, she's still she's prime But to what party then? It doesn't matter. She's still, she still holds the office of PM, but she stepped down as the Tory party leader so they could kickstart the Tory leadership contest, which should take about six right. months to find someone okay. to then replace her. She's, so she's and then we... But then we... <laughs> <can't take> her. <laughs> she's uh, joking here. Um, but <laughs> what yeah. we... We then have to have a general election, right? Because if we get Gove or Boris as the head of the party, we I cannot. I mean, look, no, we they all have their issues. We, we don't have to have a general election. It's no, no, I know. But like, look, Rab and that guy who's really small with the big hands. I can't remember his name. Rory. They seem. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, like, don't say that like, Rob feels good because he doesn't. No, 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 no. I'm not oh, saying they're okay. good, but they're, but they're at least 
more like human beings no, than, than Gove. No, Dominic Raab is not. No? no? Is he the worst? Possibly. He was Brexit sec, right? And, He's and possibly he the just... most hardline right wing of the lot of them. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, Rory then, he seems happy. Yeah, I think Rory is someone that most people push comes to shove would be like, okay. Problem yeah. is, it, uh, I, I was talking to some conservative supporting friends. I do have some. Shock horror. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, but the problem is, like, we could be putting a really good future PM or future leader on the sacrificial <sighs> altar that is Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, no, that's This could fair well enough. kill whoever, whoever gets the job very quickly. Can I also just add one more point? When was the last time a politician represented three different political parties in six months? Never. Chukka Romano has on, represented yeah. Labour, the, what was it, Change UK, who have yeah. already gone and now live them. If you live in Streatham, he, I've got friends he, that live in Streatham. Has he gone to the Libs? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's holding right. a by-election immediately. Um, Chukka Romano belongs to one party, and that's Conservatives. You've only got to read about him enough to realise that he was even, yeah, he, he's not a nice human being. But I just think, like, the, the goal of the man... He was elected as a Labour member and he's now representing Lib Dems, which, look, we all know the Lib Dems have fantastic policies. And in an ideal world, we would have a slightly off to leaning left Lib Dem party, you know. And I fear for your party, Dave, and that Chukaramana could end up taking over from Vince Cable if he wins his by-election. Uh, Joe Swinson. Yeah? Yeah. Anyway, on that note, I think, I think, I think we should leave our listeners to them one day. Yeah. Later. Tuesday morning, whenever they're listening to this. Tuesday evening. I don't know. Um, but we will be back on Thursday. Jack may not be. We'll probably, probably not be. But we'll be back. The podcast will be back on Thursday. But until then, enjoy uh, London Tech Week. And if you're at any of the events that we happen to be at, Work 180 tomorrow morning, uh, the Harvey Nash CIO launch, the CIO water cooler, COGX, uh, Rustac conference, all over the show this week, uh, say hello. Say hello. Say hello.